Well, you're in your little room And you're working on something good But if it's really good You're gonna need a bigger room And when you're in the bigger room You might not know what to do You might have to think of how you got started Sitting in your little room da da Saturday, October 18th, 2014. It's 9 p.m. in the White Tiger Lounge, which is located here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jack Miller. And I'm Shannon Emerson. And this is White Tiger Radio. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. So, uh, Shannon, what's, uh, what's on your mind tonight? Well, I've noticed... I've noticed there's some something's happening in this town, Portland, that we live in, and people are starting to complain about Portland, and I'm not quite sure what to make of it because it seems to me they're actually complaining about the wrong things. They're not complaining about the stilt walkers and the Subarus and the Santa pub crawl and all that stuff. They're, they're not? They're, they're not complaining about that stuff. They're complaining about other things, and I just don't know if... I am a jerk for not complaining with them or if they're a jerk for not just leaving. You know? I can't decide. I'm really torn. Well, give me an example of the kind of thing that they're complaining about so I can judge you for judging them. I don't know. I I, I don't even want to go into the complaint so much. as just I really feel like if you... My tolerance for complaining is very low. If you don't like something, either change it move aka move uh or shut the fuck up just kind or you know figure it out or stop complaining about it and i think sometimes it becomes just a thing to do a tick to complain so you've noticed and i can see that i mean portland's changing for sure there's no question about it and you've uh, noticed but the people complaining about that they're complaining about the change portland changing and i think that in a, in a sense, I sort of think, well, then you should go because then the rest of us can stay here and make this place a real city, like a real amazing, even more amazing city than it is. Right. So they're complaining about stuff that is kind of trying to hold Portland back to the, to the way Portland used to be. There's that whole like, oh, it's been, it's so the way it right, which used is, to be. You was know, so understandable great. in a way, but uh, to, to not want to lose. People don't like change as much, but I like change. And so I'm yeah. happy for change, I mean, those whatever pe- it brings and knowing that it'll either change back or it'll be the right thing. I don't know. Those people definitely drive me crazy, and it's because I think that they're really doing a disservice because one of the things I've always loved about Portland was um, how people didn't complain about it, and now people are complaining about it, and that's changing it, and it's really ticking me off. Oh, I'm going to move from Portland because people are complaining about it. That's a good point. That's what... But I don't want to move. I just want them to stop. That's why I'm mad about the complainers because they make me want to move. Oh, yeah. It's not the city. It's the complainers. That's... Thank you. That was very good. Now I know why I'm so Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to go back to the way it was... Before everybody started complaining. <laughs> but with it keep it continuing to change, but just not complaining along with changing. Okay, so I guess what I, what I want in a forward, moving forward, looking kind of direction is I want the people who are complaining to leave so that the city will move forward back to the way it used to be before they all started complaining. Which goes back to what I was saying, which is move or shut the fuck up. Are you talking to me or them? Everybody. You're looking at me. <laughs> and it sounds like you're talking right, to them. I, I have a feeling that... Um, 
I just have this feeling we have to move on to the next thing. Right. I just need to get this out of my head. So tonight we've got a music oriented show and I would explain it to you, but I think that probably Miller can explain it best. A lot of people don't realize what's really going on. They view life as a bunch of unconnected incidents and things. They don't realize that there's this like lattice of coincidence that lays on top of everything. Give me an example, show you what I mean. Suppose you're thinking about a plate of shrimp. Suddenly somebody will say like plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp out of the blue. No explanation. No point in looking for one either. It's all part of cosmic unconsciousness.
the first set and in case you haven't picked it up yet and I don't see how you would have uh, the flow of songs on tonight's show is going to follow a series of connections that are linking the artists to the songs in some way so that's where we're going 
it's the lattice of coincidence. We're tying things together below the surface. Uh, and we started that set and the show tonight with a song that was released at the end of last month. And we're going to work our way across, back and forth, uh, about 45 years of music history tonight as we flow along with these connections. And we started with Prince, a song called Wow. And uh, on the album, Wow is spelled with all capital letters, and the album itself, Plectrum Electrum, is also spelled in all capital letters because sometimes Prince just has to uh, put something in all caps. Sometimes he yells. Sometimes he yells. It feels like he's yelling. So Plectrum Electrum uh, was our first song, or excuse me, Wow, off Plectrum Electrum was our first song. Um, Oh, there we go. Got a little engineering problem there. People just applauding all the time. We're not even doing that much, and people are just applauding. I know. It's 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 fantastic. You think that was a sound effect I set up. Did you uh, know that, um, I'm just going to interject here, even though I know do. you're on the plan to tell oh, no. about the last of coincidence, um, but uh, did, you know, did you know that Prince is a Jehovah's Witness? I did not know that. He is. He is. That kind of changes some things. I know, but I don't want it to, but it does. He's He has been one since uh, 2001. And so he wasn't raised that way and he just kind of stuck raised with it. He was as a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, and then he became a Jehovah's Witness, and he actually apparently will go around to people's houses, Prince, and do Jehovah's Witnessing. Because even if you're Prince, you still have to get out there and knock on the door. I mean, I guess, I, yeah. And he. Uh, what neighborhoods? Well, I want to get into that. There's neighborhood. a story about him actually going to uh, a woman's house in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, in 2003 where he came to her house, introduced himself as Prince Nelson, and came inside to talk to her, to Jehovah's Witness her, with his bassist alongside him, who um, used to be a member of Fly and the Family Stone. And who's now Larry also Graham, and now a witness. And, and, and Prince is from Minnesota, so it makes sense that he would Jehovah's Witness there in some way. Maybe he has a house there. But that's that's that's, I mean... That's amazing. I don't want to ruin Eden any prints for anybody, but I don't know if that ruins Prince or if that just deepens my respect for him because he's an animal of a musician yeah, and I a mean, songwriter, and yet he witnesses to people. Whatever he has to do to be Prince, I think I'm. I think I'm down with it. Uh, yeah, I guess we can't complain. So, so, how did we get from Prince to the next, the Creedence? Right. Well, we started with Prince, song. and Prince played the 2007 Super Bowl halftime show as some people know, and some people claim that it uh, should have ended the halftime show as we know it. They should never have done another one after that because he just tore it up so much. And it was in the rain. He did it in the rain. Um, and for that show, he played a medley of songs that included a number, rain. a number of his own uh, uh, numbers. I don't know if he did Purple Rain. I think he did. Okay, Purple Rain. But that medley also included a song by Creedence Clearwater Revival, Proud Mary. And then, of course, our next song was by Creedence. Uh, we played the song Commotion, which is from their August 1969 release, Green River. And uh, Credence, I never knew, this is probably not surprising to too many people, it's not spelled the way you would spell the word Credence, like the noun in the dictionary. It has two E's at the front of it, C-R-E-E, not C-R-E-E-D. Right, because, what, as I understand it, because they used to play as a band i think it was called the velvet something the velvet 
obviously not the Velvet Underground, but the Velvet something. And that was the band they played in, in when they met in El Cerrito in high school, El Cerrito, California. And so they, and then uh, John Fogarty and somebody else went to the army or uh, John Fogarty went to the uh, Air Force, I think, or the, oh, the less, the not. Uh, Coast Guard. Coast Guard. No, not the Coast Guard. I don't know. There's nothing less than the there's Coast nothing, Guard. But there's something else. Anyway. Um, Reserve. Merchant Marine. I know. Um, but. So he, a couple guys where they were in the band, they left and went into the military of some kind and then came back and they were so happy to be back and they formed a new band and they were thinking of a name. And one of their friends was named Creedence something with one E and then they changed the name to two E's because of Creed. A Creed. A Creed, a belief system. Creedence and then Clearwater apparently what came from um, an Olympia beer ad. Uh, And then Revival was just that they were back and they were ready to be a band they were again. back from the service that's of where all that some came service. from but yeah. wow you know and that's that's a it's a long name credence clear wrote a revival and it's a lot to say and you kind of always just think well that's just what those dudes are called but there's a story behind it yeah they put it all together well that was our middle song in the set and that was released in august 1969 as i said and our connection to the next song is that it was also released in august of 1969 the song we heard was the stooges uh, doing the song 1969, which was the opening song on their self-titled debut album, The Stooges. So that's uh, that was the set. Prince to Credence, Clearwater Revival to The Stooges via the 2007 Super Bowl and the month of August 1969. Uh, you know what else happened in 1969? Whoa, a lot of stuff. Midnight Cowboy was released. Really? 1969. Uh, the first ATM was installed. Where? Rockville Center, New York, near near JFK. I, you know, I'm impressed that you knew that because I was just like, she's not going to know where. She knows the <laughs> year, and I'm going to say where. You make that up, or is that really true? That's really true. You know that. I know you that. You just know stuff. Plus, what? The, uh, the first Boeing 747 made its first passenger flight. From Seattle to New York, it might have been JFK. It might have been right. They might have flown right past the ATM. Wow, that's some connections. That's a lattice of coincidence for sure. <laughs> you know, and that's 1969 uh, August, which is when those two albums were released. Uh, was of course when Woodstock took place, the original Woodstock, uh, the music festival that changed people's perceptions and probably lingers as what most people think the 60s were like. Most young people probably are like, yeah, that's what it was like. It was Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem, like to like, you know, don't eat the brown acid kind of thing. Um, that happened in the same month that the Manson family committed the Sharon Tate and Leno LaBianca murders. So that was the same year. Mm. Same month. Days apart. Same month. Woodstock. Woodstock. I oh. believe that Sharon Tate was murdered on the 15th of August and that Woodstock opened on the 18th. So coast away. That was the 60s. That's the, that's the. That's I the lattice that, of contradiction um, there. Am Roll, I getting too deep? Did you ever read the song of Roland? I don't think I did. Well, I think Roland died on August 15th in that book. Wow. <laughs> I read that in high school. It seems to me like maybe we're getting a little dark and it's time to probably move on. Don't, talk, don't bring up Okay, Manson. so there it was. The Stooges, 1969, from their self-titled debut album, The Stooges, connects up with this song. Call the David played and please the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
we had three songs in that set, and we started that set with John Cale's cover of Hallelujah, which is a Leonard Cohen song. And the way we got to John Cale's version of Hallelujah was because the song before that we played in our first set was a Stooges song, uh, 1969 was the name of it on the album called The Stooges from 1969, and that was produced by John Cale, and that's how we got there. Uh, But the interesting thing is that it was produced by him, but they, it was on Elektra Records, and they didn't actually, they did, John Cale's take, Elektra rejected and said it wasn't good enough, and then uh, Iggy Pop and the president of Elektra remixed it, and then they released it that way, and then in 2005, they re-released uh, John Cale's mix but with some pitch, uh, what do you call the pitch? Adjustment. Pitch adjustment, yeah, is that all it's called? I don't know. Tuning or something, I don't this know. This is all news to me. I've anyway. never heard any of this. And then in 2010, they really released it again with purely exactly as John Cale The original John Cale yeah. release. Because after all that, all those shenanigans, they realized that he had it right. I guess, or they just were. Maybe he'd become more popular in their right. bank. And we did and right, that. and we did know. play the original version as released in 1969. Yeah, so I want. I haven't listened to the other versions, but I want to listen to them to see if there's a difference. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, it's worth listening to the various versions of it, and you can find those things on a place that they call the internet. Place, yeah. The um. So apparently, the Stooges when they went in to record that album, the Stooges, they. Uh, had been playing I think five or so songs live and they would play two minutes of the song and then they would just improvise for however long they wanted to and so they thought well that's enough songs to make an album they went in and recorded all those and then Electra said no that's not enough and so that they in one night they wrote three or four songs for that album that then they played for the first time in the recording studio and were on that isn't that cool they were just like yeah sure you want us to fill out the album we'll just do it tonight yeah just get us some pills, and we're going to put three songs down. That's pretty amazing. You know, John Cale produced that record, and he, he's produced a bunch of people. At the same time that he was producing that Stooges record, he was a member of the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, the unfortunate connection there that we don't follow, it's a little cul-de-sac on this show tonight. Is Are you going to get dark again? I like, am. Didn't we just end the other one saying, let's not get Should dark? I not do it? Should I not talk I about the I heroin that, that the I Velvet don't. Underground introduced into the Stooges' lives, and it kind of wrecked the Stooges, as well as everyone else that it came... Uh, in contact with? I don't with? know. You can do it if you want, but don't no. complain about getting dark if you do it. I'm fine with it. All right. I won't do it. I won't talk about it. So that was the first song. So there was no heroin involved. No. And then from John Cale and Hallelujah, we went to the Pixies, Wave of Mutilation. Uh, both the Pixies and John Cale were part of a tribute album for Leonard Cohen, and they did covers for him. Um, and in fact, that song we heard, uh, Hallelujah, wasn't that on? That it was on that one, yes. Right. The Pixies. I can't remember what the Pixies did on that one. They did. Oh, gosh! I've listened to the whole album recently because it's really great. Uh, but I don't remember which one they did because I was thinking that the Pixies' "Wave of Mutilation" was the B side of "Here Comes Your Man," and that's the song that got stuck in my head. But that's that's not the song they did because Leonard Cohen didn't write that one. Confusing these connections. To get um, your brain turned around. That that version of Wave of Mutilation that the Pixies did was was from, well, it was from a B-side compilation they put together, but also it was on the soundtrack for Pump Up the Volume. 
pump up the Which, Christian Slater running a, great, a pirate radio station from his garage, if I'm was, not mistaken. No, that's exactly it. It was. It oh was yeah, great I remember thinking how film. cool he was. He was cool. I remember thinking how cool he was too. Um, and then after the Pixies song "Wave of Mutilation," we played Soundgarden's uh, "Rusty Cage," and the connection there is that both the Pixies and Soundgarden played uh, just this year. Um, in a festival in Tel Aviv called Rock and Roller Festival in Tel Aviv, Israel. And that was just in June of this year that they played together, and that's how we got to Rusty Cage. And didn't they sort of face a stiff wind of controversy over their their attendance of that because of some people's feelings that Israel is kind of mean? Well, some people, yeah, some some musicians backed out. They chose not to. And they, they, they played on with some other bands too, but there were some that didn't, didn't play. So the Pixies and Soundgarden bucked the boycott call for making Israel seem like meanies and played at that festival. I guess that's a good thing. I like it when you buck the wind of controversy. So I think, so Rusty Cage was 91 when that came out. Yes. And uh, Soundgarden was nominated for... I think, is it the Grammys that, that are for music? Yes. That they were nominated for Best Metal Album from 90 to 94 for various songs. Or metal song, I think, not album, I guess. Maybe it is the album. Sorry. But then in 1995, 90, and after, in the late 90s, were, were nominated as Best for Hard Rock. So they beca- they were metal, and you can hear it in the Rusty Cage. Oh, they're totally metal It just sounds version. so metal. And then they transitioned and they kind of brought the grunge into it and there was no grunge category, so it was hard rock. So it was like they were either metal or hard rock, which was kind of... Right, the Grammys were just like, what do we do with these guys? Well, we'll let them be metal until we figure out what they really are uh, and we don't know what that is, so we'll just kind of lump along and then they figured out that it was, what was it, hard rock? Hard rock was the other, yeah, I think hard rock, yeah. That's like the blandest, least descriptive category you could imagine too. Like metal at least says something, but hard rock, like what, what is hard rock? That encompasses a bunch of stuff. Right. It's just not soft rock. It's not. So I guess that now we've completed our so we're leaving, rundown. We're leaving uh, with Soundgarden playing Rusty Cage, and now we're on to our next connection. Notice the stripes, the dead in your 
right It's right when you die Both and both Dawn breaks like a bull through the hall Never should have called But the head's to the wall And I'm lonely And if you turn a
Woke up this morning, got ready to roll. But on my green bummer, it was freezing cold. Applied long john, but the beat is not matching. I called up Jim Master, cause I knew he was scratching. Jay to the telly music, loud as hell. He said, hold up, Ryan. It's the bell. Jay to the door as he leaves the cut. Was a eyes a surprise. DMC, what's up? I need a little help, Jay. I got a little problem. A guy like yourself, maybe you can help me solve him. I only want to know why this happens all the time. What? Everywhere I go, I start to rap and rhyme. I rock him in the day. Yeah, you rock him every night. I rock him when I left so deaf, I knew something was wrong. I rhyme when I am sleeping. I rhyme when I'm awake. When I was nine, I said I rhyme by putting candles on my feet. I just came from the bank. You said it rhyme. A rap so funny. A song about the line so long they all gave me their money. That's why I came to you. You're my friend. Yes, that is true. Said maybe Jay knows what to say. He'll tell me what to hmm. do. Yo, you go get Joe and all the rhymes you made. And we'll go to the bank. And we can all get paid. In the 66 old Girls are on the jack like the ride was a roll Feeling kinda great, got change for the toll Suckers gotta wait, that's your fate, poor soul Heard you on the record, then I heard you on the tapes Stop, switch the conversation over to grapes Because you're not busting none So stop fussing, son You're not down with Rush, they call us Russ and Run Since that's the company, you won't be chumping me Here's a man, act that fan Run, be bumping me Time run DMC if you can believe it, but uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because we have to get started back at the beginning of this set with the connections that uh, got us to run DMC. We started that set with the Shins doing new slang from their 2001 release O oh, Inverted World, and we got to them from Soundgarden because I bet some people out there can guess because both the Shins and Soundgarden were on the Seattle-based Sub Pop record label which is pretty much the Motown of grunge, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it, that the shins aren't grunge. They evolved beyond grunge. But yeah, that sub-pop began sub -pop was pretty in much the 90s like, in Seattle when all that was they, going they on. They took grunge from being something people had no name for to being something that people wanted lots and lots of. Yeah. So that was the first song there. And then our next song was the Beastie Boys doing Sabotage from 1994's Ill Communication. I just I have to pause for a second and just gasp about how great that song is i don't know how many times i've heard that song i never don't love it the most when i'm listening to it <laughs> yeah it holds up it sure does and that connection to the beastie boys from the shins is a little bit more out of the way than the sub pop connection to uh the shins from soundgarden 
The Beastie Boys and The Shins have both been nominated for the Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album. So that was a new thing uh, at one point in uh, 1991, actually, is when the Grammys invented the Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album. They didn't know yet what to call it, but they were like, well, this is different. When did they do that? 1991 was the first Grammy uh, for alternative music. Now, The Shins were nominated in 2008 for Wincing the Night Away. Um, and the Beastie Boys were nominated in 1999 for Hello Nasty. The Beasties won that year, and the Shins did not. So this is not a connection of, of winners of an award. This is a slightly more oblique connection of nominees for an award. Nominators, nominees. Nominees. Uh, that Grammy has gone to some amazing people, and some not-so-amazing people, in my opinion. Um, Beck has won it twice. Radiohead has won it three times. The White Stripes have won it three times. Uh, but also, it has been won twice, and in, the only time in back-to-back years by Coldplay. Mm. So, some pretty amazing bands, in my opinion, and then then Coldplay. Yeah, I, I guess I don't think of Coldplay as being alternative, but maybe it is. They won it two years in a row. Uh, they were alternative enough for the Grammys to say... The Grammys know, don't lie. That Yes, well, <laughs> okay, we could <laughs> or, talk... Or we, they do. We could go a lot of places or with that comment. Or they just stretch the truth, really. We're not going to. So, we got to the Beastie Boys from the Shins that way. And then to get from the Beastie Boys to the Run DMC song, which is called Ragtime from Tougher Than Leather, their 1988 release, uh, is that the Beastie Boys and Run DMC were both in the movie Tougher Than Leather, made in 1988 and directed by Rick Rubin. The Beastie Boys actually played themselves in the movie, and Run DMC played some kind of cop-type guys? Or was it bad guys and the cops were after them? I can't remember oh. exactly. The, the the album, Tougher Than Leather, released the same year as the movie, was much better known and much better received than the movie, uh, which was called by a writer for the Washington Post. Uh, he said that this movie is vile, vicious, despicable, stupid, sexist, racist, and horrendously made. And I think the horrendously made part is that that was the real job because it's like the rest of that stuff vile, vicious, despicable, stupid, sexist, racist, you know, that's not going to turn off some people, but it's horribly made, so it's not even good. Yeah, but it, it, uh, you know, knowing about Rick Rubin and knowing that he, he didn't really care about anything. He just did whatever he wanted. He directed that movie. He's like, sure, why not? He, uh, he started, so the other connection actually between the Beastie Boys and Rodney MC is that they both were uh, produced by Rick Rubin, uh, and Russell Simmons, and Russell when they Simmons, were still right, kind and of Def a team. Jam. Yeah, when and Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin, who I like, still don't picture them together in the same room, but well, Rick Rubin started. So he started having parties in his dorm room at NYU, and he would he had a sound system and speakers, and was interested in the hip hop that was happening around him, and figuring out how to make uh so when we djs would play out they would scratch records and then they then there would be mcs and that was different than when they recorded music because it was more like they would lay down tracks and then they would mc it and so he just wanted so part of what he saw he started making records is because he wanted to create the sound of a club in a as a recorded you know so mixing scratching records and and then rapping on top of that and he was doing that in 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 his dorm room He's yes, not he even did. in his sort of artsy loft apartment, no, but in, in his, his dorm room. In his dorm room that exists still today, that is still part of NYU. He started it. And he distributed records from the from somewhere on the campus, and 
um, he had, so the Beastie Boys used to come to his parties and they were younger. He was only in college, but the Beastie Boys were even younger and they would come to his parties and they asked him to DJ one of their shows that they did. And so that, then he did that and then he produced them. And then, you know, he, then I'm not sure if Russell Simmons was involved when he first produced the Beastie Boys. I can't remember, but and, Rick and then had, he produced the Run DMC and and he's and been a produ- he's been a producer and machine and is you know we owe an awful lot of great music to Rick Rubin right, so and I, he produced I guess Johnny can, Cash which takes us back to his Johnny Cash's cover of Rusty Cage Soundgarden's Rusty Cage can add the lattice of the coincidence, lattice of coincidence. It lays over all things so I guess that I, we can forgive Rick Rubin for directing what. Uh, many people consider to be a horrendously made movie or at least one so. person i think so we can forgive him that one i would like to i've never seen it i should we should just watch it just to experience the beastie boys and run amc that's true being directed by rick rubin in a movie we may have to cut the post made. show short tonight so we can go inside and watch yeah. uh tougher than leather okay oh wait i have one more thing i you have another uh, thing do you want to hear my of course whatever uh, it is uh, uh, wait, what am I doing? I'm doing... Maybe not. I'm, Maybe I'm I don't want to hear it. My impression, Ooh, you have an impression of the Beastie Boys. Maybe I... Did I say I wanted to hear it? Did I jump the gun it? on that? Do you want to hear it? Of course I want to hear it. I said howdy. He said hi. That's it. But yeah. That was a... Paul Revere. That was an impression. Listen to it. You'll hear it. impersonation. You'll hear it. So now we're going to move on with our next set, and we're going to have to get from Run DMC's Ragtime to this some. Um, how? Oh, you're gonna take me home tonight. Oh, down beside that red firelight. Oh, you're gonna let it all hang out. Fat bottom girls, you make the rocking world go round.
some dancing there to the Rolling Stones while that was playing. It's a good song. It's hard not to dance to that one. Uh, at the top of that set, we had Queen, uh, their song Fat Bottom Girls, which was released in 1978. We got to Queen from Run DMC because uh, both Queen and Run DMC performed in Live Aid, which was in 1985 and if you remember those times where there was live aid was a concert there was farm aid was a concert there was right, a live band, aid started at all a band called band aid that was like a band that did a group of musicians that did the the right. same kind of stuff not so. just not just an adhesive bandage but a band uh i believe there was uh, we are the world was the song was the song that the band aid band did yeah Right, so that was so Queen and Run DMC both played at Live Aid, and I remember watching that on television, on broadcast television. Uh, I lived in New Jersey at the time, and one of the concerts or one of the venues was the JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, so it was really close. Uh-huh. And I can just remember thinking, like, oh my God, I wish, wish, wish I could be inside JFK Stadium to see all these great acts and bands. Oh yeah. Uh, and the other venue yeah, was that. Wembley in London, and that's where Queen played and Run DMC played at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. Uh, other acts that played there, the one that I really probably would have most wanted to see was the Led Zeppelin revival. Uh, of course, they couldn't get back together because John Bonham. Their 
uh, legendary drummer was dead, but they had several drummers play with them. One of them was Phil Collins. Oh, and really? I didn't know that. In 1985, I think the perfect storm for me, and this tells you what kind of a weenie I was, <laughs> would have been Phil Collins and Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God. Phil Collins and Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God. The Genesis and Led Zeppelin. Like, oh, I, <laughs> why am I watching this on TV in my living room instead of there in JFK Stadium, only 40 miles away? Missed it, opportunities. Just Missed opportunities. But our lattice of coincidence lays down on top of Queen and Run DMC. And from Queen, we got to uh, Sweet Black Angel by the Rolling Stones uh, from their Exile on Main Street album uh, in 1972. Both uh, the Exile on Main Street and... Wait, which was the, the, the Queen album that was performed? Or that was... Uh, all right, no. Recorded. Fat Bottom Girls was from jazz. No, this is not. This oh. is a. This is a connection via the bodyguard. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, that's right. The connections get oh, so yeah, this is intertwined good. sometimes okay, that we so lose was, track. Uh, right. Uh, oh. Freddie Mercury and Mick Jagger both had the same bodyguard named Victor Robinson. That's right. He was also a nutritionist and a cook, and I believe that he did body work for these guys. I'm not making this I up. Don't know. I'm serious. Really? He wrote a book that was published in 2013 last year called Never Say Never, You Could Be Next. And this book, I was trying to get a copy of it, and it turns out that it's published by CreateSpace Independent Publishing Platform, which uh, turns out is a self-publishing outfit. So this bodyguard, who once was a bodyguard for both Mick Jagger and Freddie Mercury, wrote a book about it and self-published it. And he is now a resident of Kalamazoo, Michigan, where he coaches football and track and field at Hillsdale Middle School. And he occasionally you, puts on community-oriented events. You tried to get a hold of the book, but you couldn't? You I couldn't get the book because I have to go through some kind of thing that I didn't, oh. I don't know, they're going to, it seems like a scam. Thing you weren't prepared to go through. I wasn't prepared to go through it, but I did read on the flap of the book that he currently lives in Kalamazoo, yeah. Michigan and so coaches middle Freddie school. Freddie Mercury and Mick Jagger at the same bodyguard. And Victor that's Robinson. how we got from Queen to the Rolling Stones. And we only have one song left. That's it. One connection left. We're, One we're song. leaving the Rolling Stones and we're going on to our, our next and final artist. And uh, our final artist was our first artist. We're going full circle. Bringing it back around to Prince. Full circle. And we're bringing, right, bringing it back around. Why are we bringing it back around to Prince? Explain because that. Exile on Main Street was recorded partly in the south of France and it was recorded partly and finished off at the Sunset Sound Recording Studios in Los Angeles. And Prince's 1999 album was recorded at Sunset Sound Recording in Los Angeles. So Exile on Main Street brings us back to Prince for our final song. Thank you for listening. For listening. Yeah, we do. 